Bombers, Kaleidoscope Eyes, Pretty Little Policeman. Was there anything the Beatles didn't sing about? That's right. Love. (laughs) Hold on, I've just been handed a note. Okay, looks like they actually cover that too just a bit. Today we continue last week's conversation on the book which covers every Beatles song ever recorded. This is part two of All the Songs by Jean-Michel Gaston and Philippe Magiton. And this is The Book Pile. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and as a father, there are a few Beatles songs I still haven't yet let my kids listen to, like The Ballad of John and Yoko. (laughs) Not because they take the Lord's name in vain, just because I hate it. (laughs) And I'm David Vance. It was funny to me that this year, two sequels to my all-time favorite movies came out named after Beatles songs. Glass Onion and Across the Spider-Verse. Oh. (laughs) Across the Spider-Verse, I get Glass Onion. I'm like, that's got to be one of their weakest songs, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. As usual, feel free to leave us the most incredible review of all time. MJ2112, she says, I've always wanted to be, or at least sound like, a well-read person. It's just that I don't actually want to read that much. Thanks for giving me a way to bridge that gap. Love your podcast. It's the one reason I look forward to Monday mornings. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) All right. If you want to see me live, it's a quick rundown. Listen for your city, especially if your city was named after a very righteous man. I'm going to be in St. Paul, Minnesota, July 7th through the 8th. Then on to Mondovi, Wisconsin, July 9th. Then I'm heading over to West Jordan, Utah, July 21st through the 22nd. I love how, in that case, Jordan just got a a compass coordinate. (laughs) Paul gets a saint. Jordan gets directions. Ramona, California, August 12th. And uh, I'm going to be in Des Moines, Iowa, December 9th through the 10th. Snatch up those tickets now at kellenerskin.com. Did you see we got an email from Iowa? No. The title is Greetings from the Land of More Than Just Corn. (laughs) Of course. I was saying it ironically. I'm saying that to all of the Iowans that unsubscribed last week. (laughs) If they're telling you it's more than just corn, doesn't that plant the seed in your head that it's for sure not? (laughs) It does. It plants the corn seed. (laughs) When I was a kid, we went to a museum in D.C. that it had this art installation. It's a map of the U.S., And there are TVs inside every state just playing a reel that represents the state. Mm. And Idaho's reel was just potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I get it, though, because then you look at the other things that Idaho is famous for, like Nazis. (laughs) And I'm sure I'm sure you guys are like, you know what? We'll we'll go with potatoes are fine. Sure. (laughs) We're just potatoes. (laughs) Finally, our next book is The Hobbit. All right, and without further ado, here are two more lessons plus just a ton of really fun random facts that we took from all the songs. This is part two. Listen to the previous episode if you want to hear part one. That's how chronology works. (laughs) All right, lesson one. If you meet a famous person, just tell the truth about it afterwards. (laughs) Another pattern that I noticed in this book is that friends and acquaintances of famous people, in this case, the Beatles, will alter anecdotes to make them self-serving. 
<laughs> okay. And before, hold on. It's a police siren going by. Quick sidebar on that siren. Probably the biggest reaction that I've ever had that was a solid 50-50 of groans and applause was when I was doing a show at a club with apparently very thin walls and a police car drove by, sirens blaring, so I had to stop for a second. And then as it was fading, I said, sorry, (laughs) that's because I'm stealing the show. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. It was, I just <laughs> laughed, groaned, and applauded. <laughs> so, meeting famous people, changing the anecdote to make yourself feel more important. Here are a few examples. In an interview in 2005, John Lennon's first wife, Cynthia Lennon, said that the song All My Loving was written by John for her. And the truth is, Paul wrote the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cynthia Lennon also believed that the song She Loves You came from a Christmas note that John had written for her, which ended with the words, I love you, yes, yes, yes. And it's just such like a little twist. Like how, it's like how Dan Brown likes to interpret art to fit his narratives, you know? He'll be like, oh, yeah, and the... The lack of cats in the Mona Lisa means that Da Vinci hated animals. <laughs> and you're just like, I mean, I guess that fits. Don't you think it's possible, though, based on what we know about him, that John Lennon told these things to Cynthia even though they weren't true? Oh, man. <laughs> Those lyrics really would be much worse, though, huh? She loves you, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Then it sounds like you're just comforting a very insecure friend. (laughs) I know. I'm tired of talking about this. You ask me every day. (laughs) My favorite lyric in that song is, (laughs) she says you hurt her so she almost lost her mind, but now she says she knows you're not the hurting kind. (laughs) It's like, But they did hurt you. (laughs) She Loves You is a song from the perspective of the world's most toxic wingman. (laughs) Also, I don't remember how this happened, but in college, I ended up with them singing the German version of She Loves You. (laughs) So it's just like, Sie liebt dich, ja, ja, ja. And maybe the most trivial thing of all time to boast about, John Lennon's childhood friend, Pete Shotton, claims that he suggested the, hey, at the beginning of the backing vocals for You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. (laughs) (laughs) I've got it. (laughs) Good job, Pete. Changing history. (laughs) George Harrison said that he had no one in mind when he wrote the song Something, but then later his first wife, Patty Boyd, said that it was about her. (laughs) (laughs) It really wasn't about her? Oh, this whole time I thought it was about Patty. Well, maybe this was George uh, reverse engineering his muse after breaking (laughs) up. (laughs) Wait, imagine that conversation. You're dating someone. Were they engaged or married by that point? You're dating someone. You write one of the most iconic love songs of history. And you're like, yeah, that's not about anyone. (laughs) 
Something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover. No, yeah, they're just words. <laughs> also, I would have thrown in that if John had written it, it would have been, attracts me like no other current lover. <laughs> Fun fact about myself, that song, Something, has probably been in my top five most listened to Beatles songs for a while. But I learned early on that when you're driving and trying to be hands-free, it doesn't work to say, Hey Siri, play me something by the Beatles. <laughs> oh no. It's very who's on first. <laughs> the first <laughs> this is a true story. The first time I did that... Siri started playing She Loves You, and I was like, all right, Siri, that's a stretch. So I asked again, and it started playing Mean Mr. Mustard, and I was like, oh, I see what's happening. (laughs) There's not much more jarring than expecting something and hearing Mean Mr. Mustard. (laughs) Can you imagine today if the coolest band in the world came out with a song called Mean Mr. Mustard? (laughs) Doesn't it sound like a Cartoon Network show that'll get canceled after a season? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like on a much, 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 much lesser scale. The the band, oh, what's that Armenian heavy metal band? Oh, what is it? <laughs> uh, come on. Oh, yeah. Um, if you heard a song, you would know. <laughs> System of a Down. They write some surprisingly heavy songs dealing with subjects like the Armenian genocide of the 20th century or the corporate side of warfare. They win a Grammy. But then they also have a song called Chicken Stew, which they sing just a lot about pizza toppings. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my final example of this, John's girlfriend, May Pang, said that Help was John's favorite song. And that I Am the Walrus was about Paul's mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> no. She said that. I just, again, think that if you knew someone at some point, you can just say that they said anything. <laughs> but I can also, I, I do understand a little bit this. I think it's a human inclination in these situations of meeting someone famous and then recalling it later in like maybe exaggerated detail. I once opened for Gilbert Gottfried. Okay. And I spent an hour and a half with him before the show, having dinner at a restaurant with him and his manager. And I'm guessing it was his manager's idea because you know what Gilbert Gottfried said to me over the course of the entire night? (laughs) Quote, could you pass the bread? (laughs) And that's no exaggeration. He was 10 times more introverted than me. Neither of us were comfortable. Was it just you and him at the table? Me, him, and his manager. So it was mostly me and his manager talking. (laughs) And he just sat there? Yeah. (laughs) And just so everyone knows, he doesn't have that crazy voice. No one does. That would be insane. (laughs) It wasn't, could you pass the bread? It was literally almost a whisper. He was a very quiet guy. So do you know how much I want the story to be different (laughs) and how easy it would be to change it because none of you were there? That must be why this happens. And that's why I'm asking everyone else out there to just be honest. No one cares about the story of your celebrity encounter because they just want to be the one to have met that celebrity. (laughs) Like it, It would be so easy 
to tell the story like, oh yeah, so then I said to Gil, you know, <laughs> you know, you capture that character so well as, as the parrot in Aladdin. You should tell Affleck that you want to be the voice of their duck. <laughs> and I was the guy <laughs> who changed his life. All right, lesson two. Don't be famous or people will try to kill you. <laughs> Kellen, I want to take you back in time. Wait, there's more? It's, ni- <laughs> it's 1964. You're a little kid with your family watching the Ed Sullivan show. And on come these four nice boys, matching suits, matching bowl cuts. They sing a song about holding hands. Like all great rock groups, they do a cover from The Music Man. <laughs> Which, don't you wish they covered the entire musical? Paul's just like, well, you got trouble, my friends. <laughs> so you're watching you're watching these four dorks in neckties whose dancing is just bouncing up and down, not together. Mm. And you, as a child, say to yourself, I bet these guys are going to inspire a lot of murders, <laughs> and you would be right. Oh, cool. You know how famous people always say, you don't actually want to be famous and you know how we never believe them. Mm -hmm. I believe the Beatles (laughs) because these poor guys, John got shot. Obviously George got stabbed. Like some guy broke into his house and stabbed him over and over. And then George later called Eric Idle from Monty Python and said, why doesn't this sort of thing happen to the Rolling Stones? (laughs) There's the time they were in the Philippines and they skipped the first lady's party. And so a mob came to the airport and basically beat them up. There's the fact that they wrote hits like All You Need Is Love. And Charles Manson was like, oh, okay, they want me to kill people. (laughs) So I don't want to oversimplify, but my takeaway is don't be famous or you will be murdered. (laughs) What's crazy about that, too, is that with all those stories, one time Paul had several women break into his house, like taking a ladder to one of his bathroom windows, and then he just wrote a song about it, which is probably the worst way to prevent people from aggressively stalking you. By immortalizing them (laughs) in the song by the most famous band in history. (laughs) She came in through the bathroom window, the one I always keep unlocked. (laughs) It's by the northeastern hedges. (laughs) (laughs) All right, random facts. So, Kellen, my theory about the White Album is everyone agrees it's two-thirds good and one-third bad but no one can agree which songs are the bad ones. (laughs) I thought this was fun. John Lennon calls their help era his fat Elvis period. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, why? Just because he gained weight. (laughs) It's funny because to be fat Elvis also implies like the decline of a career and then death. So that wouldn't come till at least nine years later. (laughs) Every book I read about the Beatles, I learn how funny they are. And so here's a couple of my favorite lines. When Paul announced the Beatles breakup, George just said, it looks like we need a new bass player. (laughs) (laughs) A few years ago, when Paul couldn't get into Tyga's party because he didn't have a VIP wristband, he turned to Woody Harrelson and Beck and said, we need another hit, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then one time the Beatles were on a plane and one of the engines started on fire and George sprinted to the back of the plane yelling, Beatles and children first. 
<laughs> so I I have this theory about uh, the song with a little help from my friends, which is <laughs> it's their most genius song because the whole song starts with what would you do if I sang out of tune? <laughs> and then the very end of the song is with a little help from my friends. <laughs> but they've prepped you. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ringo, but that last note, it's I'm always like, you couldn't do a couple more takes, guys? <laughs> I thought that was sweet. Did you read the story that he kind of struggled on the vocals, and so the other three were gathered around him as he sang for moral support, like very much in the spirit of the song. Oh. <laughs> but no, I'm glad you got to make a joke about it. <laughs> uh, I love the story of Eleanor Rigby, where George Martin suggested using orchestration, and Paul was against it at first, and then he finally conceded, but he said, I just want the strings to play with bite. Mm. So then George Martin, when he was um, arranging it, he used he used the soundtrack to Psycho as a reference. Wow. So it's, it's fun to listen to that song now um, and have it seem even more macabre. <laughs> Father McKinsey wearing the clothes of his mother who recently died. <laughs> Cuts her insides. <laughs> Waits at the window wearing the face that he keeps in a jar by the door. <laughs> it's fun that the song just basically says at the end of it that Eleanor went to hell. <laughs> This year, <laughs> this year uh, when Black Friday comes around, I'm going to drive by a GameStop at 3 a.m. when there are 75 people camped out in line, <laughs> roll down my windows and just blast, ah, look at all the lonely people. <laughs> so here's a quick list uh, about how most lyrics and most songs you've ever heard don't mean anything. <laughs> it's nice if they mean something to you. But a lot of times, like, especially if you watch the Beatles documentary, you see that, like, the, they just sort of came up with a lot of the music first and then sang la di da di da until, mm -hmm. like, the, the words would fit the music they already played. So here's a, a few fun examples. This boy, um, they said, there's nothing in the lyrics, just sound and harmony. <laughs> <laughs> Paul said of yesterday, he goes, the lines are good, but if you read the whole song, it doesn't say anything. <laughs> you don't know what happened. <laughs> I like how most of us would probably think, yeah, these are like archetypal emotional stories that are universal and everyone connects. And the person who wrote it is like, oh yeah, no, it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> the extra part about yesterday that, I, that I'm remembering now is is that the filler words before he came up with the first f few actual words, including uh -huh. yesterday, the filler words were scrambled eggs. I uh -huh. love your legs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my darling, how I love your legs. <laughs> he and Fallon performed a full version of that song. Oh, no. <laughs> 
Uh, Norwegian Wood, John Lennon said, I wrote it about an affair and then made it all gobbledygook so you wouldn't know. <laughs> it's very clearly about an affair. <laughs> and, then later, and later he said, I can't remember any specific woman it had to do with. Like, of course you can't. <laughs> Thinking back on it later, George Harrison said that the song Think for Yourself, he says, it must be written about somebody from the sound of it, but I don't quite recall who inspired that tune. Probably the government. <laughs> I wonder how much of this is that they were just really high for a lot of this. <laughs> it must be odd to look back, almost like Stephen King on Cujo, and be like, <laughs> yeah, I kind of remember how I did that. <laughs> Well, and to counter that, a couple songs that people thought were about drugs but weren't. Yeah. And they did write songs about getting high, but there were a few that absolutely weren't, including Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah. Which people are always like, again, speaking of Dan Brown, people are always like, ah, oh, the initials are LSD. And it's like, no, the initials to the song are L I T S W D. <laughs> Which is an even crazier drug. Now, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was just because his son drew a picture of his friend Lucy, and she was in the sky with diamonds. And John took inspiration from Alice in Wonderland. He said that the song was about Alice in a boat. She's buying an egg. It turns into Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. Did you know that famous fossil, Lucy, is named after Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds? Oh, no. With Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds, they've been so upfront about which songs are about drugs that if John says that one's not about drugs, why would he lie about this one? <laughs> right. <laughs> when they, yeah, they deny this and then at the same time talk about how got to get you into my life is a love letter to cannabis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then finally, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, John just wrote it all based off of an antique circus poster that he bought. Like all the characters in the song are in a Mr. Horse. Uh, uh, people interpreted the horse as meaning heroin, but John, at that point, he hadn't even started using it yet. And he said, quote, no, it's all just from that poster. <laughs> How frustrating must it be <laughs> to write a song sober? <laughs> and people are like, yeah, they must have been jacked. <laughs> I just like kites. <laughs> Real quick, lightning round. The book says the Beatles were the ones who invented the double A side, when really all it was <laughs> was like Lennon and McCartney's egos when one of their songs was going to be demoted to the B side. They were like, I mean, how about how about they both get an A? <laughs> I want to throw out, is it a huge innovation to just say, actually, we think both of these are good. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also want to say, it does not offend me that they decided, oh yeah, we like both Day Tripper and we can work it out. <laughs> uh, I love the story of the Rubber Soul album, that it was actually sort of an art accident when the guy they hired was showing them on a projector uh, the photo he wanted to use, and then it tilted yeah. in the projector, so it elongated their faces, and Paul's like, that's it, we'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with the long faces. Um, after John Lennon wrote and recorded the song, uh, I Feel Fine, he said, yeah, I wrote it, but it's nothing, and then it became their next number one single. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, 
David, it occurred to me that uh, your sister, Jessica, her last name is now Rigby. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that's never come up in your family. <laughs> that's taboo. <laughs> So there are two reasons that we named our son Desmond. We were looking for a Scottish name. Uh, I won't tell you the first reason, but the second reason uh, <laughs> is from Obladi Oblada. Oh, that's fun. And we've told him that he needs to marry a Molly. And we've also told her that the moment he meets a Molly, he needs to say, can you guess what he needs to say? Oh, girl, I like your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This poor kid goes around saying that to any Molly he meets. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up with a terrible ecstasy addiction. <laughs> this is like a weird version of being a stage dad, but instead of life as a celebrity, you just want him to live out a Beatles song. <laughs> Every birthday you buy him a barrow. <laughs> And then a year later, the two of you needs to you need to switch professions uh, and and pronouns. <laughs> all right. To recap, our favorite lessons from all the songs, part two. If you meet a famous person, just tell the truth about it afterwards. Two, don't be famous or people will try to kill you. And three, listen to Eleanor Rigby in the shower. <laughs>